Hi, this is Brother Sam, and we're continuing with Chapter 4 of Men of God. This one is called Brother and Sister. Question. How many beautiful women does a man notice in a day? Here's my answer. Every single one. Yep, we have kind of a radar, don't we? This chapter opens up discussion about our distractions and attractions as men. I encourage you to continue to press into honesty, to talk to your brothers and express to them the hopes, the desires, and the struggles that you experience as we learn how to relate well to our sisters in Christ. There's some good insight here. I hope it blesses you. Ready? Here we go. Chapter 4 Brother and Sister What to do? Social media has changed the way we relate as humans. I suppose that's not earth-shaking news, but I can't help wondering where that puts us after the last chapter. If we're ready to reject porn and the humiliating ways it trains our minds to see women, we won't find much help by switching from those images to the faces we see in our newsfeed. Even there, we only look through a window, the screen, at an image, hardly a relationship. Here's the way Pope Francis sums up our situation. Quote, True wisdom, as the fruit of self-examination, dialogue, and generous encounter between persons, is not acquired by a mere accumulation of data, which eventually leads to overload and confusion, a sort of mental pollution. Real relationships with others, with all the challenges they entail, now tend to be replaced by a type of Internet communication which enables us to choose or eliminate relationships at whim, thus giving rise to a new type of contrived emotion which has more to do with devices and displays than with other people and with nature." Unquote. I propose a relational reset, brothers. Our brains are so muddled about real women and real relationship that we've got to debug the whole system. Too many viruses, too much malware, we want to restore the default settings deep within, our Father's original design from the beginning. This is the moment when Adam and Eve stand before God for the first time. Though we've seen the passage before, we're going deeper now. Quote, God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that crawl on the earth." Unquote. A blessing and a commission. Do you see them? We know now as men that our internal vocation of fatherhood is a sign pointing to God the Father. Here is the archetype. At the dawn of creation, the Father delights in us as man and woman. Can we experience that delight? The goodness of being, respectively male or female. The Father's joy overflows as He blesses and commissions His first son and daughter. What's the blessing? New life, fruitfulness, and growth. As men and women of God, we're called to be fertile and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. The commission builds on the blessing. In a word, it's dominion. We're called by God to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that crawl on the earth. Pause the playback here. Freeze the scene. This, I think, is the best beginning for our relational reset. 
As children of the King, we are sovereigns and stewards who stand side by side. Three key questions. What is a sovereign? What is a steward? And what does it mean as man and woman to stand side by side? Sovereign as Sons and Daughters A sovereign is a royal ruler. Dominion is the turf, the realm over which the sovereign has authority. This can all take on a twisted Game of Thrones-ish picture in our modern minds, so we need to know what it means to rule. We get some idea from the ways we relate, or ought to relate, to the natural world around us. How are we called to exercise dominion in our care for the environment? Simply stated, dominion doesn't mean domination. Returning to Pope Francis's insightful encyclical, quote, If we approach nature and the environment without this openness to awe and wonder, if we no longer speak the language of fraternity and beauty in our relationship with the world, our attitude will be that of masters, consumers, ruthless exploiters, unable to set limits on their immediate needs, unquote. If domination is off the table for our relationship with the earth, it's certainly forbidden for the way we relate as men and women. Think back to the first chapter where we started out with worship and contemplation. We hold all of God's creation with a deep sense of awe, and that includes the mystery of man and woman. As we co-rule creation, the right relationship is not one of domination, but, according to Pope Francis, one of fraternity, brotherhood, and sisterhood towards our world, towards one another, no better foundation can be formed for rebuilding right order in our mutual relationships. Stewards Entrusted with Treasure Stewardship builds on sovereignty, adding accountability to the mix. A steward is a person trusted with treasure. He or she knows all authority has an author, a source from whom we are sent and to whom we are responsible. This becomes clearer if we look at stewardship from the other side. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, as the famous saying goes. Deep down, we are all like Gollum, that bent, froggish character from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, who obsesses over the one ring of power, calling it my precious. Gollum gives us a good picture of what becomes of men and women who want power for power's sake. They don't, in fact, possess power. Instead, power takes possession of them. Stewardship is the opposite of Gollum. Stewards understand that everything we have is a gift, including ourselves. It reorients us away from mine, mine, to ours, ours, united with joyful celebration of the giver. In SPO, we spend so much time offering God praise and thanks. Ever wonder why? Well, among other things, it inoculates us against our inner Gollums. What does this stewardship look like for men and women standing before God? There are many ways we can live this call, but a primary concern in our time is the protection of human life. Think of it. As stewards, we want to care for our environment. Why? To preserve it for future generations. That's very good. But what about the future generations themselves? How are we caring for them? Here's the piece that our green initiatives often neglect. Are we open to life? to bringing life into the world, to providing for the next generation. Reading the major media outlets, we get the impression that babies are burdens and not blessings. Our world sees little rainforest wreckers and natural resource depleters 
rather than the greatest resource of all, the infinite possibility of a new mind, an immortal soul. Side by side as brother and sister. As sovereigns and stewards, we stand side by side before the Father. If you say, got it, and skip ahead, that would be unfortunate. I'm about to explain some ways we live this relational reset in SPO. How our way of life fosters healthy relationships of brotherhood and sisterhood, side by side. This time, I'll flip the script and describe what it is before what it's not. What it is. At baptism, we become sons and daughters of the Father, brothers and sisters in Christ. We strive together to embrace everything this new identity makes possible. Jesus is our model, our master, and our dearest friend in this work. Being transformed into his likeness, we become more ourselves, each embracing the specific gifts God has bestowed on us side by side in affirming the goodness. It is a gift to be a man. It is a gift to be a woman. We can say this freely without implying any negative judgment on either. Male and female, as we've seen, are two distinct and interdependent ways of being human. Our way of life in SPO provides opportunities to affirm the goodness and the gift. Not imposing stereotypes, God loves variety, and not patronizing, God loves humility but in a natural, honest way. Side by side in worship. By diving deeper into relationship with God, we can be inspired by the ways we see our sisters express reverence for the Lord. We gather regularly to praise God as a community. As brothers and sisters, we come together to honor the Lord and celebrate His goodness. Lord's Days, prayer meetings, and retreats are times when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and through us as beloved sons and daughters. Side by side in fellowship. We make it a point to honor our sisters. You've heard this before, I know. It's something we see as important because our world often tears down women treating them as sexual objects. We affirm the dignity and worth of our sisters by showing them real courtesy and consideration. When the community gathers, we mix with the women and enjoy conversations without lingering overlong or playing favorites. If you're not a talker, you might be tempted just to circle up with your guy friends. There are other times for that, like in our men's environments. Take a risk. Be willing to start a conversation. You're among friends. Side by side on mission. We delight to serve together and build up the body of Christ. Women evangelize differently than men. They bring gifts of listening, compassion, and receptivity to the work in ways that are distinctive and life-giving. Often we will be puzzled, thinking, why is she doing it that way? Often we're amazed, saying, how did she manage to convince him to go on retreat? The beauty of our complementarity is seen in a growing mutual admiration, where we regularly find ourselves thinking, I would never have done it like that, but it's awesome. We're about building a culture. It's a place where men and women relate honestly without flirtatious games, confusing mixed signals and hidden agendas. If you're still not sold, we'll look at other approaches. What side-by-side -side is not? It's not screen-to-screen. -screen. We tried that already. Screens are not bad if they serve real relationship. They're bad when they act like funhouse mirrors that distort reality and conceal true identity. 
What's the use of doing a reboot if we just return to the old malware? It's not below and above. When man and woman approach each other with awe, it doesn't mean that we're putting the opposite sex on a pedestal. Reverence for her as a person does not mean idolizing the woman. It may seem simple, but it's not. There's a certain kind of erotic fog that can envelop us unknowingly. A man who becomes captivated by a woman, whose mind floods with thoughts of what she might be like and how I could win her heart, is often living in a fantasy rather than reality. He projects onto her what I want her to be, rather than allowing the necessary space for her to reveal who she really is, on her terms and her timeline, not his. It's not face to face. This is the intimacy of lovers, the attraction that emerges as a man and a woman move towards becoming man and wife. Traditionally, the type of love found in this relationship is called eros, and there's nothing at all wrong with it. In fact, it is very, very good. The Bible dedicates a whole book to the power of this encounter in the Song of Songs. From the beginning, human persons have discovered something of the wonder of God in the romantic attraction of the other. St. John Paul II famously framed this in terms of a moment of recognition, the day when Adam, coming home, as it were, from a long day of naming animals, beholds Eve for the first time. Quote, How very significant is the dissatisfaction which marks man's life in Eden as long as his sole point of reference is the world of plants and animals. Only the appearance of the woman, a being who is flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, and in whom the Spirit of God the Creator is also alive, can satisfy the need for interpersonal dialogue so vital for human existence. In the other, whether man or woman, there is a reflection of God himself, the definitive goal and fulfillment of every person." Unquote. What we see in each other is something of a mirror, then. The glory of God is reflected and refracted in a glorious rainbow of color, the prism of one who is both like and unlike me. And that beauty, that delight, can be overpowering. Therein lies the issue. Many guys dream of finding the right one and construct mental designs of what she'll be like. It's not wrong so much as it's premature. The problem is not with eros, but with the good thing it often uproots and supplants, that necessary first stage of Christian love called agape. While eros is interested and exclusive, agape is open and inclusive, or disinterested. Remember that word? Agape is a group of sisters and brothers thoroughly enjoying time together, without couples pairing up and wandering off. We need to lay this foundation first, even and especially if we find it a dreary task. C.S. Lewis, a popular Christian author, framed this side-by-side -side orientation as friendship and contrasted it with Eros when he wrote, quote, One knows nobody so well as one's fellow. Every step of the common journey tests his mettle, and the tests are tests we fully understand because we are undergoing them ourselves. Hence, as he rings true time after time, our reliance, our respect, and our admiration blossom into an appreciative love of a singularly robust and well-informed kind. If at the outset we had attended more to him and less to the thing our friendship is about, we should not have come to know or love him so well. You will not find the warrior, the poet, the philosopher, or the Christian by staring in his eyes as if he were your mistress. Better, fight beside him, read with him, argue with him, 
and pray with him. Unquote. In SBO, we see this as a unique gift in our way of life. Brotherhood and sisterhood is a chance to simply be together, side by side before being face to face. We make our mutual relationship about God instead of gazing deeply into each other's eyes as in you, me, we. We intentionally resist an undercurrent of eros, a specific kind of desire that is right and good only when it comes at the right time and when we're in a good place. Single for a Season Speaking of a good place, you may have heard people in SPO refer to a dating fast or choosing to be single for a season. It's a decision to focus first on God, to be unabashedly single for a while. It's not retreating from the opposite sex, but neither is it over-relating in the secret hope that something might happen. The idea is to set aside a period of time, keep it reasonable, and you can always re-up, to focus on God and seek His healing, His vision, and His will for your life. It's a gutsy move. Your brain and possibly your parents will constantly remind you that prime dating years are flying by, not to mention that other guys might be eyeing the one you have in mind. That's why this decision is so powerful. It's a choice to put aside control and take hold of trust. Sincerity is essential. For this time in my life, I'm choosing to face God, not the sister beside me. I'm also not checking her out, corner of the eye style, not shooting her a text. Hey, hold tight. I'm only a month away from wrapping up this dating fast. <laughs> we laugh, but come on, guys. We know the workarounds. To focus on the Father for a season includes seeking advice from an older man of God, your pastoral leader or a spiritual advisor, including your own father if that's at all possible. Same sex is best because you're setting a pattern here. You're doing something most guys fail to do. You're admitting you can learn a thing or two from an older man. It brings us back to that issue of our internal vocation of fatherhood. We can't give what we don't live. If we don't seek a father's blessing in the wisdom of a mature man, and ultimately in God the Father, what do we plan to model for those sons, natural or spiritual, God will give us in the future? Staying single is not passive. It involves actively pursuing key relationships, first with Jesus and second with our brothers. We'll return to this in the next chapter. Here, I want to offer some huge positives that come from being face-to-face -face with God first for a time, rather than turning towards a woman. Knowing God There's a fear here. Let's call it out, guys. We're afraid if we seek God's will, He'll call us to be a priest or a brother. And we assume talking to a spiritual advisor who's celibate is basically like walking into an army recruiter's office, right? Actually, no, it's not. I can think of no better proof, in fact, that you don't know God very well than this very fear. God the Father delights in you in exactly the way He has created you. He doesn't want to tell me how to live my life. That's not His way. God has not planned for you a sucky second-rate existence. He wants to walk with you as father and son in the whole adventure of your manhood. It's the joyful communion we witness when Jesus speaks to His Father, quote, I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the childlike. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal Him. Unquote. That joy can be ours, brothers.
knowing myself. A vocation, any vocation, is a gift of self. Imagine someone you love, someone you think the world of. Would you ever give that someone a gift all wrapped up with a bow if you didn't even know what was inside? When we seek God drawing near to his face, we see ourselves reflected in his eyes. That reflection restores our self-image as sons. It beats the hell out of the reflection we get staring into our screens, literally. Seeing all women reflected in God's eyes. Similarly, I see women restored to their true dignity when I see the sister who stands next to me not by turning to her, but by noticing her reflection in the Father's eyes. The way he sees her is the way I want to learn how to see her, which leads us to the last big plus. Recognizing the one for me. Personally, I don't buy all the soulmate stuff, as in, God is preparing me for the one he's preparing for me. I have to admit, though, that for the couples who do it right, there is a striking of-course-ness to the final match. Having faced God faithfully for a season of their lives, there's a more natural, mutual perceptivity. We have a much better idea what we're actually looking for in the other. Time well spent. Already face-to-face? If you're already in a relationship, no worries. There is no shade being thrown your way here. In fact, the message is similar because the issue is the same. It's about learning how to be as brother and sister before you choose whether or not to be married. That means you walk back those patterns in your relationship that belong to marriage, not just sex, but anything that anticipates or activates physical intimacy. Again, we're not anti-sex. We're pro God's plan for marriage, taking the time to get the pieces in place for lasting love. If you've already gone down that road, if you've already begun a physical relationship, any of these would count in this category. Intercourse, oral sex, mutual masturbation, heavy kissing, hands roaming under the shirt or the skirt. There's likely to be a conversation you're dreading to initiate. You might feel somewhat sold on the path of purity, but she might still be far from open to it. What to do? Win her over by first winning over yourself, by the renewal of your own mind about the real meaning and purpose of sex. Here's why it's worth your time. If love is blind, sex before marriage is the leading cause of blindness. It conceals all kinds of self-serving motives that masquerade as love. Once you're learning how to love the person rather than the passion she generates, you become aware that she is not a means to an end, meeting your need, but someone worthy of your sacrificial love. If you claim you already believe this, okay, prove it. Put purity on the front burner. Decide together to make it the top priority in your own relational reset. Should we break up? Let's say, after you talk to her about purity, she's still not won over. Give her some time. It may be a difficult change. That said, maybe she's a hard no. Sex, she may say, is beautiful and natural. How can something so good be so bad? What she may really mean is she doesn't want to lose you, and the physical side of your relationship is her best way of keeping you close. If she stubbornly refuses to allow the Lord a place in the relationship, 
to make it a priority to obey His commandments, you'll have to decide whether or not to continue that relationship. Two important pieces of information should not go unexamined. She doesn't trust God, and she doesn't really trust you either. Hence the tether of the physical relationship. This is what we mean by removing the blinders. If that's really the deal, these patterns don't disappear at some future stage. What you're seeing is what you're getting. Till death do you part. Sometimes the question of a breakup is pretty straightforward, even though it's very hard. As in, a situation where the relationship is unhealthy or contrary to God's commandments. An unhealthy relationship is one where either member, or both, are so attached to the other that it eclipses all other relationships, even with God. That's a relationship that needs separation, though how to go about it is a good place to practice that advice earlier about getting advice. Talk to a man you trust, one who is more mature, and who balances strong faith with common sense. Another case where breaking up is the thing to do is a same-sex romantic relationship. Any situation where pairing up with another man crosses over into physical intimacy. Please don't take this as a condemnation, but as an invitation. Being attracted to another man isn't a sin, but acting on that attraction is contrary to God's plan for sex. Don't be afraid, and don't be ashamed, brother. The Father has a plan for your life, and that includes your sexuality. Among your brothers, you can lay out the challenges, but also build confidence. If you make the courageous decision to obey God's commandments, your life will not be a lonely one. More about this below. God Alone In some cases, as we're standing side by side before God, a man or woman may decide they like this view better. Rather than turn and face one another in marriage, some are called to remain exclusively directed towards God in a lifelong celibate vocation. We take that part of our hearts we would give exclusively to a marriage partner, and we dedicate it to God through vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. We may also embrace priestly celibacy in order to become, through holy orders, another Christ in persona Christi. Like the few loaves and fishes, Jesus takes that gift and multiplies it. The celibate woman or man doesn't forfeit motherhood or fatherhood. In fact, they can easily find they have more daughters and sons than they can count. There are other reasons for staying single. Some faithful brothers and sisters continue facing God because a suitable marriage partner can't be found, or, as noted above, the opposite sex does not attract. In such cases, remaining single is not second best or some kind of life sentence to solitary confinement. It's a summons to the one thing necessary, an exclusive and satisfying union with God alone. Skeptical? Jesus explains, quote, You are misled because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven, unquote. To embrace singleness for the sake of Christ, whether it is freely chosen or due to circumstances beyond our control, is not merely a choice to build the kingdom, it's a choice to live the kingdom. We embrace in the prime of life what every disciple embraces at death, the pearl of great price. Remember what JP2 said about Adam looking at Eve? Quote, In the other, whether man or woman, there is a reflection of God himself the definitive goal and fulfillment of every person, unquote. Did you catch the last part? We reflect God to each other, yes, 
but when the reality arrives, the reflection fades. Would you keep talking on the phone to the person who just walked into the room? That's what we're saying. God is enough, more than enough. In the end, no human love can satisfy our hearts. Every other love is either a bridge or a barrier to the greatest love of all. The enthralling vision of God is our deepest desire. Be open to the surprising power of grace and God's call. Only this can lead you into that supreme and satisfying consummation. As Jim Elliot, a famous missionary martyr, once said, quote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Unquote.